I think that this digital equity work should be part of what community media is doing to deepen their relevance. You're listening to Radio Survivor, the sound of strong communities. My name is Eric Klein. I'm a host and producer of the program. My name is Paul Reesmanel, and I am another host and producer. And uh, we're back after a week off. Thanks, everyone, for coming and returning with us. We took a little time. It was the Memorial Day holiday here in the United States. Oh, is that why we took some time off? Uh, Ostensibly, (laughs) that's why we took some time off, uh, because we would have recorded the Friday uh, before Memorial Day. And um, I think... I was just tired. <laughs> yeah, it's good to take it's good to take some time uh, for yourself. And we didn't really have a show lined up either. So, uh, but we have one today. Oh boy, do we have one today? It's it's a good one. It's a doozy. Yeah, what friend of the show Sabrina Roach is back. She uh, last time we had her on. Well, I don't remember the last time. The uh, first time, one we, of the very first times. Yeah, I think we've only had her on once before. Okay, back when she uh, uh, had her uh, played a part. In organizing the community of low power FMs coming together. Well, and she still is. In the Pacific Northwest Seattle neighborhood, which was um, remarkable. Yeah. Dozens of stations up in that region. Yep. She's a doer for brown paper tickets, and one of her focus, yeah. one of her foci is uh, helping to enable community media with a very big focus on low power FM. She helped to uh, enable, they helped to work with stations in that Puget Sound area to put low power, station, low power FM stations on the air. She continues that work. It's still yeah. part of her work, but she'll be joining us in a little bit to talk about um, some bigger issues um, that as relate to community radio, but that relate really to, to communities uh, that has to do yeah. with equity. Who and gets justice. to sit in the chairs and make stuff. And, and, and I think even bigger than that. So, but what we hmm. will let people hear that. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say that, 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 that she's a doer. That means that she's a, she's like a paid activist there at Brown Paper Tickets. Yeah. It's they, a wonderful thing that Brown Paper Tickets they does. Made it, they made a decision as a corporation that they were going to take some of their profits and, uh, and uh, feed it back into the community by by paying activists to do their work. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Make it, allowing them to for that to be their job, which is which is uh, related to what Sabrina's on the show to talk about, which is that that stations should take their resources and feed it back into the community uh, to sort of grow their relevance in in their communities. Yeah, and to that point, I mean, I just want to sort of say to everybody who's listening is that we welcome your contributions. This We'd like this to be an open platform. I mean, you know, podcasting is is sort of a one-way medium in, in its sort of explicit existence. It's uh, You don't can't just turn on your mic and yell back at us while we're doing it. But you can certainly uh, send us a piece. You could record something. You could send yeah. us written something. Right. You can, you can read. You can write. You can rant. Tell us that there's something you'd like to talk about and we'll give you a call. And you could uh, be, you know, via phone or Skype or some other communications it's technology. It's true. I love talking show. to strangers on the internet. Uh, you, you know, so if there's something you feel strongly about or something you'd like to share or an idea you just like to woodshed. I mean, I think that's part of, I think, uh, sometimes folks – you know, there's, I mean, I certainly I do it. There's a self-censoring because you feel like, well, this is a raw idea, right? I'm not, I don't feel like I'm an expert yet to talk about this or I, I'm sitting here uh, with, with a fully formed thought so much as, as I'm beginning to see something emerge. We'd love to workshop it with you. We'd like to work it out because I think, you know, this can be a form for fresh ideas. I would hope not necessarily fully formed or fully proven and fully right. tested ideas. Uh, but, you know, a lot of it's about getting them out, yeah, out there and, and for other people to hear about it them. It reminds me what Jennifer has told us about the work of doing the podcast that she had not anticipated is that um, being forced to think on her feet and put put the words out onto mic- into microphones spontaneously uh, has, has changed the way she thinks about the work that she was doing previously, um, just herself and a keyboard. And yeah. I, I like that about radio. And Absolutely. Podcasting. So uh, drop us a line, podcast at radiosurvivor.com. That's email. But if you use Twitter, you can add us at, at Radio Survivor. You can drop us a message at our Facebook page, which is uh, just Radio Survivor. We're easy to find. Uh, you know, we have forums. You can leave a you can leave a comment on one of the posts. Uh, but let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Or if there's someone you think we should hear from or someone we should be talking to or somebody who we should just open up and just and just let them have the mic. Like it, it doesn't 
doesn't all have to be utterly mediated. Uh, we want to make things happen however they can. And I, I just want to make sure right up at the top of the show that we are we're making sure to reinforce that to the best of our ability that doors open. I don't think that I mean, I'm just being self-reflective. I don't think that we have I've done it to the best of our ability. I think we can grow and we can learn. Sure. Uh, it takes work. I think you're saying this right now because you're having a you're oh, having yeah. a reaction to the interview we just oh, recorded with Sabrina. It, yeah, and, and I'm finding it I mean, I'm finding it energizing. Yeah. So and I would hope that other people will kind too. Of opening your mind a little uh, bit. Yeah, of course. There's always we should always be able to look back at these things with fresh eyes. Um so anyway, drop us a line podcast at radio survivor.com and uh yeah so uh, speaking of opening your mind a little bit let's let's jump right into that interview with sabrina roach joining us uh from the studios of kplu in seattle it is sabrina roach who is a doer with brown paper tickets and she's been on a show before because she focuses much of her efforts on things like radio and low power fm as well as digital equity and digital inclusion uh, and we're so glad to have her on the show today. Thank you for joining us, Sabrina. Well, thank you for having me. I love Radio Survivor. It's it's one of the podcasts I listen to uh, with great attention. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, other um, ones I listen to with great absent-mindedness. Consider consider us sufficiently buttered up for the yes, interview. <laughs> well, the reason we wanted to talk with you today is because you're thinking a lot about digital equity, right? And I think a lot of people are familiar with this idea of the of the digital divide where there are people who have good access to digital resources, principally internet, but it can be it can be broader than that, um, versus people who don't have good access. And you've been thinking about this as it relates to radio, community radio in particular, right? Exactly. Um, so one of the reasons why Brown Paper Tickets hired a team of doers um, is because they care about equitable communities. They care about what happens at the events that people use their site to to produce and you know, to ticket and whatnot. And so when I was hired at the company, um, I brought my passion for communications rights um, some people, you know, call that media justice work. I, I feel like it's the communication part of social justice work. Uh, the that that part of how I care about our communities and I care about who can participate, where the gaps are, um, and the the two things I know how to do when it comes to to equity is and communications rights. Well, is to work on the communications rights. I. I I, I work on how our media systems work and um, and I work about uh, work on how people get access to the Internet and then how, the skills. How do they access the skills they need to participate um, on the Internet? So that's that's some broad, broad stuff there. So radio is one of the projects I, I work on and I also work on municipal broadband and um, digital literacy. Sabrina, is there a problem that you're working to find a solution to, a problem in in uh, the community radio world? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, it's it's not just the community radio world. Um, the The Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, the OECD, which is an international organization, um, of 14 developed countries, as, as they say, they say in the U S um, that 25 to 50% of, um, of, um, of Americans um, don't have the, the skills that they need to, um, to participate on the internet. So that exacerbates other inequities in our communities when it comes to economic justice, you know, jobs, um, who has access to making culture and distributing culture work. Um, you know, so many things, health, health disparities. And I think that community radio and community media, um, public access and, and government TV and educational TV, I think we should care about this and do something concrete about it because it so directly impacts our communities. And if for no other reason, it, it impacts our, our listenership and our bottom line. You know, who has the devices to listen to our content? And as we consider going online more and we consider podcasting, 
who has who has these devices to listen to them on and who has internet access at home and who has access to expensive data plans on their phones. Right. So you're saying skills to participate on the internet both as a as a receiver of information and someone who creates the information? Yes, yes. That. Okay. I care about that. And I I want us to all work concretely in how we're going to um, address that. And some community radio stations and public access centers, they do address that. Um, St. Paul um, Neighborhood Network, they have some amazing work with their AmeriCorps um, employees um, and how that they work with immigrant refugee communities in the Twin Cities. Um, I want to shine a light on organizations like that and um, look at how they do what they do and um, how others can copy those good ideas. Tell, tell us more about so, that station then. Let's hear it. Well, <laughs> um, Mike Wassener, who's the president of the Alliance for Community Media, um, he, I believe it was him who, who crafted these, these programs and hired brilliant staff to, to make that work. Um, I think that the takeaways is that these programs need staffing and uh, need curricula. Um, that's that's current and um, there's a lots of good digital literacy curricula being developed and uh, organizations like Gates Foundation is funding a program at the University of Washington to um, look at how libraries around the world are doing digital literacy work and the metrics they're using to measure them. Um, so I, I'm working with someone there to to see how that intersects with community media. Um, you know, we're also seeing lots of libraries um, opening studios, um, media production studios. Um, so in Seattle, we have a community technology matching fund um, that our Seattle IT department uh, manages. And um, that money has steadily increased over the last few years. Um, and I've been working with our local LPFMs to apply for that money. And that money can be used for equipment, for youth media training programs, development of curricula. Um, so I worked with Hollow Earth Radio this year um, to apply for a $50,000 grant to create a low-power FM digital equity team. Um, so that's a, a staff of four um, stipended folks. Um, a person to create, um, to pull together what's going on with digital literacy around the country and internationally, um, to put together a toolkit to do trainings, and then um, three support roles, a person to do deep community engagement work, to identify and surface folks who um, don't have the digital skills to participate in community media. Um, how to identify those folks and then bring them into the stations or bring the stations to them uh, with, you know, mobile recording equipment um, and the like. Um, and then to, to have staffing to make sure those folks don't fall through the cracks. Um, and then staffing to um, provide a, an assistant producer for some of the shows that already exist. Like uh, Hollow Earth Radio has some great shows um, that just need a little bit more support um, to make sure that the folks who have an interest in making radio there um, have what they need to do that. Um, and that can be some coaching, that can be some assistance with using um, the audio editing software, how to use equipment, etc. So, so I hope to create this, um, this project to, that we can learn a lot from and to work with other stations, TV and radio, um, to, to build really a mandate that we need programs like this. We need to do this intentional work concretely at our stations. And so I, I think this sounds great. And I can, but I can also imagine, you know, hearing from a station manager in a smaller city, you know, uh, maybe where the, the total audience, you know, the listening area is 250,000 people saying, that's great. That's wonderful. But, you know, here where we are, we can, we're just barely keeping the lights on. 
we don't have as much staff we'd like to have it to begin with. Um, and we don't – we're not in a Seattle. There isn't uh, some sort of digital inclusion funding available for us. There's maybe no sort of municipal or even state funding available to us. Um, you know, So it's not that we're not on board with this, but we, we don't even see a way through. How would we possibly do this? I mean how, how, how do you think this can be – those kind of I think real concerns and, and, and sort of uh, you know, understandable objections, how can they be addressed? I think that's an issue of scale and planning. I think that if that station manager um, starts working on this issue, that in a couple years, they could have a training available. They could have um, pairs of volunteers working with folks like peer coaching. Um, they could they could do that. I, I'm confident that given enough time and access to um, smart ways of doing this, you know, learning from places that have the resources to develop this curricula. Um, I think just the political will is important. And if they have that will to do it, they're going to figure out a way to do it. So how do we help them with that political will? You know, because I, I, I agree with you on the, on, on the need. And, but having been, you know, on the ground in community radio stations and small communities, I know how much friction there is, right? And, 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 and so you say given enough time. And I think that a lot of folks in stations like that would feel like, well, that's exactly what we don't have. Like how we don't have the time because we don't have the staff, right? You know, we're not doing the, the radio things we want to do. Um, and, and you, you know, this again seems nice and, and it's not a matter of being able to do it smarter. It's uh, in many cases a matter of being able to do it at all. And I'm playing devil's advocate just because I've, I've heard yeah. this oh, so course. many times and, and it's understandable and, 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 and I'm not criticizing anyone and any station manager or anyone at a, at a yeah, they, they are putting out way. fires already. That they're, that they're just putting Absolutely. out fires that it's hard to plan. Absolutely. Uh, you know, a new a, a new yeah. condo complex or something, right? When you're when you're putting out the fires in what exists, um, you know, what, what affordable can be done, housing. Yeah, what can be done to help condos. to to? I think it's not only just build the political will, but to also provide uh, these folks with uh, the justifications they can use with their stakeholders, because it, it, it's they it won't just be. It's not just the station manager you have to convince. Often it's a board of directors. It's volunteers who may feel like, well, why is that resource going there when we feel like it's not going to where we think it needs to go? Or even in, in many cases to to uh, their existing donor base and folks who just may feel like, oh, why are we taking on a big project when we're not covering all yeah, of our bases? I think I, think I want to add on to this question and ask you, Sabrina, why is it a, a radio station, for instance, why is it their job to do this work? I think it it takes I think it's going to take a lot of different community anchor institutions to do this work. And I think that this work can be seen as a way to build the relevance of your station. If you're doing this work, you are even more relevant than you already are. And you're relevant in very concrete ways that can be measured. Um I, I worked for six years at a community radio station uh, serving Seattle um, called KBCS, a really resource-strapped um, station. And um, we did a lot through partnerships and collaborations. We had no marketing budget, for example. So we used some of our extra underwriting um, inventory, and we did media sponsorship trades with community groups doing work that was mission aligned with what we were up to. And um, over time, those groups started spending money with us. And maybe it was just, you know, part cash, part trade, but they did that because they could see that it was effective, that aligning with our station was, was also making them more relevant and amplifying what they did. Um, so I think I, I just think that there's there's a way to to do these things and that we have the mandate to do them if we're going to really be um, doing what our missions say that we intend to do. Um, the National Federation of Community Broadcasters Conference is coming right up. It's the 40th year. And um, they chose Malkia Cyril, um, who heads the Center for Media Justice in Oakland to be keynote speaker. Um, there's a direct relationship between the media justice uh, work that Malkia does and the, me the, 
this the civil rights work Malkia does with Black Lives Matter um, that really drives home the point that we need to do work like this in a concrete way. We need to go beyond saying that we think that this work is important. And I think that if enough community anchor institutions combine resources, we can figure this out. And I think money follows that. There are funders who will resource this. And before they do, you know, before you've got a proven track record that you can do this, I think that there are just ways to scale it way back and not be overambitious and just dedicate a little bit of time to this each month. And I, you know, I am totally game to work with folks at smaller stations to figure this out. Um, I, I love that you guys are kicking the tires on these ideas <laughs> because, <laughs> um, you know, we're not going to get this done in a vacuum. It's not going to be just thought leadership or other buzzwords. Um, but uh, a couple weeks ago in Kansas City, uh, the National Digital Inclusion Alliance had its first summit. And 200 folks were there. And big money was there, too. Um, Google Fibers in Kansas City, they were a sponsor. Um, Mozilla Foundation, uh, GitHub. Uh, these are all organizations with a commitment to digital equity. Um, and it also furthers, you know, what they're trying to do as companies. But they care about this work, and there's funding and capacity to do the work. Um, there were heads of big projects at federal agencies like HUD and NTIA. Um, and they care about communications infrastructure. And I think that's something that's often missed is the extensive network of communications infrastructure that community radio and TV has. Mm -hmm. um, I, I just think they're often overlooked as federal agencies, um, county agencies, city public agencies, you know, as they do this work they're I think they're missing something by not being creative and looking at community media. Mm -hmm. You mentioned, uh, actually there's something I want to follow up with you on because you mentioned that you think that makes stations more relevant. And I think that that's, that's a key because if there's something which I think a lot of community radio stations do struggle with is being relevant and not and, – and, and being relevant isn't, isn't my presumption that they are irrelevant so much is that whether they are well-known, right? And then you just said community media gets left out. Yeah. Whether they are looked at as resources and as powerful, effectual resources in their own communities. Or, or niche. They Sometimes they feel like they're – it's like preaching Fringe. to not just yeah. preaching to the choir, but there's a there's a small community within a larger community, right. and that small community small, is talking to itself. Tiny community within a small community. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about how uh, how being focusing on digital inclusion and digital equity can it helps that helps to make a station more relevant to its its community? There are deep networks. Um, of folks who are strapped for resources, you know, and we look, if we look at folks on the have not side of the digital divide, um, there's, there's an, a lot of cultural richness there. There's a lot folks can bring to the table. Um, they're not just going to siphon resources off of your station. Um, they're, you know, these are powerful folks who might not have access to tools and training um, to spread their, their culture and news sharing on, you know, with your station. Um, they might not have the, the time that other volunteers have to invest in your station, but that doesn't mean that they, you can't access that. Um, well, right. Cause, so you got really concrete for a minute, right? And I think that that's, that's kind of – I mean we, we need to talk about the big ideas and we need to talk about uh, the broader sort of uh, need of, of people within communities. But you got really concrete for a moment. And this is a place where I think in community radio especially, but in, in, in many volunteer-driven projects it becomes difficult, is recognition of the fact that being able to volunteer, volunteerism is in and of itself an artifact of – of having of economic resource, right? Yeah, that privilege. is an economic of privilege. It, it is an aspect of privilege, and you know. So, and I think in community radio, 
uh, often uh, the, the thought is, well, we are open. Our door is open. Our training classes are open. Our pathway to being on the air is open. Our pathway to learning how to use everything is open. We, we don't put up the same barriers and, and whatever else, except that what it doesn't – what is hard often for people to recognize is that the barrier is the time itself, the ability sure. to, 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 to get free – to come to a class that might be held on a weekend, might be held on an evening, or might be held on a weekday afternoon, you never know. And to do all of these things to get involved in a station is in and of itself sure. a barrier, right? And I think that's what you're sort of talking right. about. And those are those are times of the day when a lot of folks are doing their side hustle, right? I mean, we're looking at the gig economy or the sharing economy and how apps make it easy for folks to to have side gigs on their main jobs. Um, and or, or they're I, watching kids who, who, right. who, who, who right. are at home and there's no one else to watch them. Right. Um, you know, something to be very concrete and specific. Um, so in Seattle youth media, you know, we, we have a really vibrant, active youth media scene in, in Seattle. And um, for a long time, young people who had after school jobs or summer jobs just couldn't participate. And um, we began to develop a mandate that youth should be stipended. Uh, to participate in these trainings that they it's even more money it's even more resources but if your mission is to get at economic justice if your mission is social justice you know economic justice is a really important component of that um you have to make sure that people can participate who who have jobs and and kids um, during the times of day that other more privileged volunteers are available. So in that Lopar FM digital equity team proposal, we included stipends for um, folks to participate, but also um, transportation, childcare and language translation. And uh, we went to the city of Seattle and uh, talked with their Office of Immigrant and Refugee Affairs. We figured out um, with census data and with data from that office, you know, what languages are being spoken other than English in the various neighborhoods in Seattle. Um, so, you know, I'll make that jump from talking about youth media and how that model created this mandate that this is what we need to do to address these gaps. And I'm going to apply that to community media where adults um, are participating. I mean, so you, so you, so you're saying, yeah, I mean, I mean, so you're saying, so, so for, for instance, that you might think about there is a stipend for people who, uh, who are our lower income to be able to participate, you know, and that might be able to provide them with childcare. It might be able to provide them with transportation, which they might not right. have access to. It might be able to provide them or it may be able to just provide them with lunch, right? Yeah, they need to buy a meal because yeah, they're snacks. going from one thing to snacks. the next thing. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> At least snacks. Yeah, exactly. It's important to have some food. Yeah. Right, right. Um, yeah. Well, and I really want to, to call out the, some of the specific advantages of low power FM. Um, part of the possibility of low power FM is that we can unlink programming choices from fundraising. You know, larger, say, NPR stations, they might have to make program programming decisions based on who they can attract as donors and um, number of listeners, just like a sheer numbers game. Well, a low power FM in Seattle, for example, and we're going to have seven that'll cover 90% of the city, um, each of those stations might reach maybe 200,000 people. And they, they, if they do an on-air pledge drive, they might not see too many phones ringing if all they do is stay in the station and aren't making themselves relevant in the way that maybe another arts nonprofit is making themselves relevant in those neighborhoods. Hmm. So if, if it's not this numbers game and if you don't have to make um, concessions, like if you don't have to compromise on what you want to do with programming, you can do in-language programming. Um, that's one of the reasons why we worked with our Office of Immigrant and Refugee Affairs. Um, we see the biggest So what you mean by that is to, is to do, is to do sure. programming in languages other than English. In languages other than English, yeah. right. Um, and... And so you can do that. And 
you can use your broadcast s- signal, you know, can use your listening area to devi- define a geography and a sense of place. Mm-hmm. And, and you can use that sense of place and your relevance to that place as a thing that drives fundraising and how you pay for this. Mm-hmm. So the business model for low power FMs will look very different, um, will be much more diverse than the funding pies that an NPR station or maybe a full power community radio station will have. Um, so it's, I, I think it's, it's just important to look at those ways you're being really relevant mm-hmm. in your neighborhood. And if we're going to talk about decentering whiteness in community and public media and in media broadly, this inc- includes, you know, commercial media, where, where do the talented folks come from yeah. in full power community radio and in the NPR world? I know I met a lot of them while I was working at KBCS and in, in those days, KBCS had a community-based newsroom, and we knew that people came to the newsroom and participated for two reasons. One, they just wanted to tell community stories, and they had no further aspiration beyond that, which is great. They stayed with the station longer. And then there were folks that came because that was the only way they could access tools and training mm-hmm. to develop their skills to work in public media. So in Seattle, we have KUOW um, and KPLU. These are both um, stations that play NPR content. And, you know, there's there's quite a few <laughs> KUOW people specifically that got their start at KBCS. Mm-hmm. And there are some folks that work at the national um, scale and who are doing great work with podcasting as well, um, who got their start at, at KBCS. Um, so I think that LPFMs could deeply if, if we're looking at mutual benefit between different kinds of, of media, um, different uh, scale of stations, we can look at LPFM as the farm league um, where talent gets developed, where folks experiment with content and um, where, where folks just, you know, get comfortable on the air. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, NPR itself came out of radical experimentation with the art and craft of radio. Right. Radical transformation. And, um, you know, a station like KXP in Seattle, a public radio station, um, they just opened their multi-million dollar studio at Seattle Center that includes a TV studio in it and a virtual reality um, immersive uh, environment, experimental art space, and a cafe and a performance area. But they started on the University of Washington's campus in the communications building. You could only hear them in the communications building. Mm-hmm. And they grew. You could hear them on Frat Row. And then they established a bigger footprint that... <laughs> Thanks to Paul Allen. They developed... <laughs> well, yeah, in, in part. To, to, he gave them some good starter money, and he just made another significant gift. Um and, and yes, we have that amazing philanthropy in, in Seattle. The outlook but they is used, KXP used their broadcast footprint, which is the city of Seattle, mm-hmm. to align themselves with a global brand. Yeah. The city of Seattle is known, you know, worldwide as a place of creativity um, and has been for, you know, decades. Um, and they built something huge on that. And we have that opportunity with Lopar FM and with Community media. I mean, it all depends on what our missions are and where we want to put our our time and energy. But they did that fund development over time and built something huge. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, and I think it's important, you know, to make sure we're looking at equity as we do that. Right. Um, how we use participatory media and the infrastructure that's there to drive some of that equity. And we're not going to be the only change agents there. We'll, we'll be aligning with lots of community partners. And I just think that expands the relevance of community media. And some stations are experiencing challenges as they're losing um, Corporation for Public Broadcasting Community Service grants, as they're seeing declines in donations because folks are just moving their listening elsewhere and time shifting with their devices. Um, I think that this digital equity work should be part of what community media is doing to deepen their relevance. So if I may, what I'm hearing you say is that community stations can re-envision themselves, right? 
as organizations, as, as really community organizations. And why I say that, right, is that it, it's almost to take a page from what would be at museums often or libraries or other nonprofits in communities, right, um, that – Sure, they serve that 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 immediate and and their founding goal, right? Of you know, if it's an art museum, of, of obviously having galleries full of art, but also often deeply engaged in things that don't immediately result in art in the walls, right? That are about engaging right. with art and engaging with culture, and often again focus on people who do not have uh, resources, who who are economically disadvantaged, uh, and right. thinking about radio station again as platform. Right, and I sure. lo- I love this idea. You said, it, yeah, it's geographic. Think about it. Yes, we're it's a neighborhood, an LPFM in particular, as a neighborhood organization. So thinking of themselves as a neighborhood organization, a neighborhood nonprofit that happens to do radio, and radio gives it a certain level of, I think, uh, a prominence. It makes it findable. It gives it right, it, it, and 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 just the permanency of that license and that that. That a blessing from the FCC makes people take it very seriously is to use that now as a platform to build out and really fulfill that justice mission around which so many community radio stations are actually founded and actually built and actually have as part of their mission statements is to be able to say, well, let's let's not just think about this in terms of what ex- what only goes out on the air, but on and how we exist yeah. because we may we may be we may be greater than than a transmitter, far greater than a transmitter. Well, and and I think an important thing to take into consideration are um, the seismic shifts that are happening in our country when it comes to the generational um, change in management and leadership. A lot of our baby boomers who found founded a lot of these institutions, you know, 30, 50 years ago, those folks are, are moving on. They're, they're retiring um, or, you know, maybe they are slowing down and they don't have the energy to do this kind of deep transformation work. Um, and this is also coming at a time of great wealth transfer in our country. Mm-hmm. As these folks are retiring and passing on, they're passing that that wealth on to younger folks who are also getting into management positions. So I think that there are ways that we can look again at the the framing of our community media institutions in our communities and how the systems work at the station. Um I am I just see great promise and I see so much good and interesting work ahead. And um as I do my low power FM work, I really try and stress that I have an ecosystem approach. I want all boats to rise. I care about all these different kinds of media institutions and I care about I care about commercial media. Um an analogy I use is um I compare our media system to, you know, whatever happens on our AM and FM dial to a national park. And this is something um, that Mel Kramer also talks about. And you can go into the NFCB archives and hear Mel talk about um, some of her ideas about community and public media. Um, but when she was um, at uh, Harvard doing a Neiman Fellowship, she wrote a paper on comparing membership and community media to um What's going on with our national parks? So I'll, I'll kind of bookmark that and put it put it to the side. Um, I just talk about, you know, spectrum and and national parks. I care very much about how we're building out the campsites, the institutions we build on those small chunks of land, the institutions that we build on top of those licenses that that let those institutions perch on our public airwaves. Like like birds on a wire. <laughs> so now I'm doing birds and national parks. But I, I hope you understand what I'm saying when I care deeply about how yeah. we build these institutions, how we pay for them, and how they do community engagement, and how how that community engagement drives their their funding. Right. No, we. I think we def we definitely hear you on that. Eric, did you have a question? Well, uh, I think I heard something that I've uh, I've like established a new frame in my mind that I'm so excited about that I was going to share uh, that it sounds like one of the things that we're talking about is that in the in the in a previous decade let's say one of the models for community radio was um, knowing you know here here are a list of solutions for the world's problems and I will tell them to you and because you're hearing me 
uh, share those solutions, uh, things are going to get better. And I think I think what I'm what I'm hearing today is that it's not just uh, just because I got the privilege to sit here behind the microphone and and tell you what I think. Uh, there there are other people with other ideas who um, who should be over here on this side. They they don't belong out there on that side of the radio listening. They also belong on the inside sharing. And it's not just about the radio. It's about giving them that handout, right? The, the open hand, uh, the extra help, the boost. Yeah, to, to be able to spend the time inside the station or to or, that or time between there. the station and elsewhere, right? Yeah. I think it's the open doors, but making sure that the doors are actually open, right, and and not up up forty flights of stairs. And. As we're looking at access and equity and and, and privilege, um, there there are lots of different ways that we can share this media we're we're making and and ways to open up who's who's making that media. Um, and if we're just looking at digital equity in terms of the devices and the internet that folks can have access to use to get our content, um, we can also look at listening parties. You know, we can also look at how to share content just in, in real time right. and, and how those live events build audience and, and build, you know, that's that's great community engagement and um, awareness building about what you're doing. And just even using your your, uh, you know, your identity, your brand and your your stake in social media um, to distribute content that can be very effective. And we're seeing. Um, like WNYC experimenting with ways to work with Facebook's um, algorithm and do video audio, if you will, without putting the time and money into um, uh, making video. Um, and and we can take these these experiments that are happening at stations with huge, ginormous budgets, and we can apply them in community media, and we can apply them um, as LPFMs build their institutions, they can they can be just very nimble, and um, I think that's just really exciting. Right. I, I think that the internet's opened up things wide, and that we also need to think about equity and how people get our content. And I and I I think that community radio already has a leg up because folks can get it for very low cost. Um, on radio, you know, because radios cost very little and it costs less to make radio than it does TV. Right. Um, so community radio has some big advantages here. Also, you know, these these signals, they act as a magnet for folks. Um, in low par FM, I, I see this tremendous excitement um, about community media, about participatory media. Um, and and that's coming from folks who are a little older, who are starved and you know, for the what they don't see in their public and community media. Mm-hmm. And that's coming from a lot of younger people that just see possibility. And they, you know, maybe they've even skipped over the the legacy community media institutions. And they're just super excited because they love this romanticization of, yeah, of, right, of radio, this art. Um, and at our community radio stations, we can, we can really deepen the community of practice if you want to be academic ab- about it. We can, we can, we can foster um, communities of folks who give each other feedback on their pieces and hone their craft. Um, I think that's an incredibly, you know, um, an incredible component. Um, And we can, you know, see how that played out in Brooklyn, for example. Um, What started off as this little radio club a few years ago in Brooklyn, um, you know, like, I think it was like five ladies were meeting in a cafe and and then in their living rooms. um, And, then they see like 500 people at their podcasting uh, events these days. And then they've had to retool that to get back some of um, some of what they originally had with their radio club. But I think that that little radio club was, it was really instrumental in helping to, to build out and provide that relationship infrastructure um, that supports all this podcast innovation coming out of Brooklyn. D- does that make sense? Yeah, I don't know who those five ladies are. <laughs> Who are they? <laughs> well, I can say that one of them came from KVCS. You know, okay. she was in our community. Do, I mean, do they, do, is there a name um, for their collective for their show? I mean, I mean, how could we find them? So how can we look to them? 
I'd be happy to to help you find them. Um, but one of those those participants in the Brooklyn Radio Club, Posey Gruner, who's a producer at KOW here in Seattle, she then um, lent that structure to Radio Club here in Seattle. Uh, there was already a, a kind of a radio club going on with like KPLU and KOW sure. producers and some independents. But this this basic format of you you know you potluck it, get folks together for an hour. Um, of food, and then there's an hour of feedback on your pieces. It is tremendously fun. Um, right now, we're in the like backyard barbecue phase of <laughs> Radio Club here in Seattle, which makes it even more fun. But you know that combination of snacks and giving each other feedback on our craft—that's the delight and the satisfaction that comes from that. Is 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 I think really important. Right. Um, and if we can, you know, take that to your radio station and, you know, anything that binds people together and causes them to experience delight and, and have meaning, they put their money behind that mm-hmm. ultimately. Yeah. I mean, and that's um, absolutely true. Yeah. People will bend over backwards, in fact, um, when they see those sorts of things, because uh, that's how we often measure impact. There's lots of ways to do it, right? And, and that's something which right. we, we won't go down that road because uh, that's a, a discussion <laughs> in and of itself. Well, but let's also look at this shift in philanthropy. Right. You know, as folks get older, they want to invest in institutions. Um, and so, you know, uh, opera gets more money, big institutions, you know, big public radio gets gets more money. Um, you get into uh, bequests and, and that kind of um, direction. But younger folks um, want to be really hands-on in their giving. Um, and it, we see that in the tech industry here in Seattle. Um, but I think it applies in, in other places. And I think if you were to talk to folks who are, you know, professional development directors, they're, they're going to talk to you about the giving trends for baby boomers, Gen Xers, um, the folks in between those generations, and then, of course, millennials. And millennials are even more hands-on in what they want to do. So, you know, if you want to be relevant to millennials that you think aren't listening to your radio programs, invite them into your institution yeah. or take your institution to where they gather um, and... And, and go there. Yeah. Just do that work and be relevant. Absolutely. And I think and there are ways you can make it very social. And I think, I mean, you know, if I were to oversimplify it, but I, I don't think this is a, a gross oversimplification. Ultimately, what you're saying to radio stations, to community radio in particular, is how can it be bad to grow the number of people on whom you have an impact, to grow the number of people who benefit from what you have to offer and to also in the process grow the overall benefit period so that yeah. not right, to mention reaching out to the people who need your station the most you know and and, and specifically focusing on equity and equity which 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 is you've put it as digital equity because we are living because radio stations are digital now and if you're not well you will be or you won't be you know i think is is, is particularly poignant and this stuff can be tremendously fun Right. Tremendously candy coated and and just you know real generators of delight and and meaning and um, yeah look yeah, at look yeah, at look well, at well, WNYC like- <laughs> look at podcast tours right and then like one of the most popular podcast touring is the Read which are two uh, queer people of color who you know who are young in their in their mid twenties who sold out London on their podcast tour, an enormous uh, uh, venue in London because it's fun. But what, but the work they do with their podcast is important. It speaks to, to uh, folks who are like them and as well as speaks to people who are not, who need to hear the messages that they have, have to give. Right. And it, but, but yet it's fun, right? There's medicine in there, but boy, it's got a good candy coating. And I think there's a lot that, that, that community radio can learn from examples like that, where it isn't, that wasn't a podcast that was started with a, with, with a grant. That was a podcast that was started Mm -hmm. with a couple of people, you know, with microphones in a studio that someone opened the door to. And, and it's as fundamental as that. Well, and for me really personally, um, you know, when I talk about KBCS, I, I was the development and, and community engagement director there for six years. Um, I, I learned how to do grassroots, fundraising um <laughs> using camp and fun of of drag shows um mm-hmm. in 
bars in Seattle right. in my in my mid twenties. You know, I was I was part of a community media project. A, you know, a queer femme. Um, excuse me, a queer feminist. Uh, not everyone identified as femme. Uh, this queer feminist uh, subversive magazine, and um, and and we we couldn't rate. We couldn't get a lot of. Um, businesses to give us money for ads. And, you know, we even had philosophical challenges um, to talk about as a collective about ads and ad revenue. And those same conversations happen in community media. Pacifica stations still don't do underwriting in the way that other community radio stations do um, for philosophical reasons. Um, but I take you know, almost every day lessons from my like queer radical <laughs> activism um, in my younger days um, and, and apply it to, to this community and public radio work. Again, it's, it's how do you generate delight? Like what is your community cheering in, in, in bars? And, um, you know, I, I think what you're talking about with the read is, is, you know, how do you make that stuff irresistible? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and and make sure that you're part of it. Make sure that that, that your station is making it possible, right? <laughs> well, yeah, because we're seeing these folks with podcasts doing it. Yeah. And um, they have a, you know, if you think about legacy community media as, as big cruise ships, sometimes we talk about huge NPR stations. But, you know, if you're a 30 to 50 year old organization, you're a big cruise ship. And LPFMs and podcasters are the mosquito fleet. They're the small boats buzzing around you. And they can experiment fast. They can fail fast. They can do all of these things fast. And then you can learn from it. There's yeah. this tremendous mutually beneficial relationship there. And folks go to conferences and they get excited about ideas. And, you you know, we all should have that caution. And, and um, you know, sh- if you can't afford to do the trend and experiment, well, you should you should wait. And you could, you know, you know, what kind of creative way do you have of scaling right. back that idea? You know, in a meeting, when you get going with ideas, like, how do you like, write down the ideas, and then everybody takes a breather for a few days, and you re- revisit that, that fun plan, and, and just think about what you can do to scale, because nobody has fun when we're overworked and underpaid. Right, exactly. And that, you know, when we're working, you know, 60, 70 hour weeks trying to get things done. And that's a lesson I learned working at a community radio station. I exhausted myself sometime. I was in love with the potential and the possibility, and I ran at it hard. And I, you know, I got burnt out sometimes. And then I would go back and replenish that, you know, through the, you know, fun I was having in, in you know, media justice organizing, creating, you know, <laughs> media consolidation zombies for an FCC hearing. Um, yeah, I mean, we all replenish our, ourselves right. in different ways. But I think, I think delight and digital equity, you know, they can go hand in hand and they can make our institutions more relevant. Absolutely. Well, I think that's a great place to leave it. And then you are going to be at the National Federation of Community Broadcasters Conference, which will be happening just a few days after we release this show. It's in Denver, Colorado this year. And and there will be a gathering uh, of low-power FM stations there as well. Is that correct? Yeah. NFCB has been incredibly generous and in giving the LPFM um, community an opportunity to have its first national summit. Um, there's the Let's see, of the 2,800 groups that applied for LPFMs, there are about 1,700 at this point with construction permits or who haven't yet gotten construction permits uh, to build. So the clock is ticking on that, and NFCB sees how important Lupar FM is, um, and, and they're just being incredibly generous. Great. Well, folks can learn more about that and learn more about your work at our website at radiosurvivor.com slash podcast. Uh, Sabrina, thanks for coming on the show again. We certainly look forward to talking with you again. And well, we'd be curious to hear a little bit of, of what your experience is, how uh, discussion about these issues of equity and justice go at NFCB. So maybe you'd be willing to uh, talk to us a little bit after you've had a chance to decompress from that. <laughs> I love talking with y'all. So absolutely. All right. And thanks again to the folks at KPLU for helping out to make this interview possible. Thanks. Bye.
I'm so glad that we just had that conversation with Sabrina. I remember now uh, at the top of the show, I had mentioned how many times has she been on the podcast? My confusion was that I met her once in real life. Yes. So first I met her by recording that podcast interview way back in the summer of uh, 2015 when we launched our work here together. And then the second time I met her was at the... Um, Cascade Media Convergence. The Cascade Media Convergence when we were talking about uh, how does a radio station uh, achieve these lofty goals, not just to think about them or, <laughs> yeah. or wish that or we could do it. Or what were some it. of the concrete things we could do tomorrow that would help us to, to, to pursue these goals? What are the concrete things you could do tomorrow? And now today we have a new, a new form of uh, uh, another, another set of ideas yeah. to to mix into the soup of our minds. Absolutely. And and really what I should have answered when you said how many times is has Sabrina been on, I should have said not enough. Well, there you go. <laughs> so we look forward to future contributions. And, and what do you think about, about uh, some of what Sabrina laid out, some of her, yeah. I think, do you have uh, any direct experiences ideas, with but very ideas? positive ideas? Yeah, yeah, let us know. Podcast at radiosurvivor.com. On our next show, uh, we're going to follow up with Professor Christopher Terry. Oh, good. Um, who has got some news about a uh, court decision. So it's a case we've been following in previous episodes. The Prometheus Radio Project uh, took the Federal Communications Commission to court in the in the Third Circuit Court of Appeals regarding its uh, uh, regarding the FCC's uh, decisions. It's it's this new was rules. something that started back in started Bush a long administration too, right? Oh yes, started a long time ago. Well, so they took a different FCC to court, and now the seven seven FCCs <laughs> later, they're finally getting a result. Exactly. Uh, so there was there was a final that was decision exaggeration. in this. Factual. Uh, from the Third Circuit Court of Appeals, and and Chris Terry, he will lay it out for us. He he has been following this. He is an expert on media consolidation, specifically in radio, and he will lay out what happened. I mean, uh, we could say the SEC got spanked. I think is what huh. what we can say on media consolidation. On media consolidation. That's exciting. But he will lay this out for us and explain it all and and help us understand why it's relevant, why we still need to think about this, that it's not a solved or it's neither a solved issue nor something which which has become irrelevant in the digital age. Yeah. And he will help us to understand that. I, so I'll be looking forward to that. I'm always excited about that because I used to believe that everything that was newsworthy would have a reporter covering it when I was a child. And now I've learned that uh, a lot of this juicy, uh, a, a lot of what's happening here in our world is going uh, sadly unnoticed. And so that's why I'm very happy that Radio Survivor is there to, to catch up on on the legal decisions impacting the Federal Communications Commission. Yeah, things that are that are, are kind of intricate and it's hard to package into a headline. Right. Um, and we're grateful that, that, that we have a, a network of folks like uh, Professor Terry who are willing to uh, help us out with this. Right, again, so yeah, if you, if you think you should be in that network, or you, you should know be somebody who should be, that's right. You want to say, hey, I've got this friend and boy, is she brilliant? Uh, you need you need to have her on the show. We'd love to hear about her. Send us an email podcast at radiosurvivor.com. We'd also appreciate it if you go ahead and subscribe to the show so that you always get it in whatever podcatcher you use. I think that's, I think that's podcatcher. It's, a, it's okay. It's, you can a, say it's that. a deprecated My term. grandma used to say icebox. It's, yeah, you, that's fine. Yeah, we <laughs> exactly. can say podcatcher. Or, and if you use iTunes in particular, we'd love it if you subscribe there. So if you use the podcast app on iOS or you use iTunes on your computer, um, if you subscribe, subscribe there, that helps, gives us a little bit extra iTunes mojo. Even more mojo happens when you click some stars or you leave us a review there on iTunes. Um, it just helps other people find a show and helps to kind of grow this network, this enthusiasm yeah. for great radio and strong communities. Hey, Paul, how much time do you have left before we wrap up the show? Uh, like two minutes. Cool. I just did a fun thing I want to tell you about where tell I about went it. to a, a, a workspace, a co-working space that was just created here in Portland, Oregon, where they have an impossible dream. And I actually think they're going to put it, they're really going to do it, where they're going to build a new podcast studio in their co-workspace and they are it's it's so interesting because it's um it's so much like people founding a radio station and it's a little bit it reminded me a lot of bainbridge community media the low power fm station that never was that got turned into a podcast community station and and here it is i, w I was there at the beginning uh and I, I think it's going to come back to Radio Survivor. And who are these folks? 
Uh, it's the it's the founders of the XOXO Festival, a festival here in Portland uh, dedicated to internet creativity, I think is a nice way to explain what they're up to. Uh, lots of what they've done in the past is up on YouTube to get a really good idea of what they've done in the so past. We'll put it in the show notes so people understand what we're talking about uh, at uh, radiosurvivor.com slash podcast. Yeah, because um, – I just uh, was in the room for a minute while they were uh, getting a lot of their dreams and visions on the table. And it's something that's going to be coming back. One of the things that struck me as really funny was both of these founders um, have a deep and rich and at that point secret. They actually hadn't even talked about it with each other. And they're best friends. They both came from college radio. They both had formative hmm. experiences in their college radio lives. And so, so we'll need to follow up on this. Yeah, we'll the, need, the two we'll need, Andes. The, we'll, We'll need to have them on the show yeah, so that we can learn more about this and, and see what, what models may be emerging here for, uh, for community podcasting of a sort. Yeah. So that I just wanted to get that out there right before the end. Uh, thank you so much to everyone for listening to this podcast, and uh, we'll see you next week. Thank you, Eric.